0: This morning we are reading from the New Testament epistle of 1 John. And so if you have your Bible this morning, let's turn to 1 John, chapter 1, and we're reading verses 4 through 9. 1 John, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. And you'll find it on page 1898 of the Church Bible, page 1898. Last Sunday morning, we began a very brief series of studies in 1 John, simply because we are in the Christmas season. And last Sunday, we looked very closely at those first three verses, and why does John open his epistle the way he does? New Testament scholars tell us it is highly likely that John was writing from the ancient city of Ephesus, in what we consider to be Asia Minor, and He was writing probably in his late 80s. So have in your mind a picture of the Apostle John, 85, 86, around that kind of time. And New Testament scholars tell us that one John and his gospel has so much similarity in terms of themes, in terms of syntax, in terms of focal points as you work your way through the gospel Last Sunday morning, we noticed that John's gospel, which begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we see many of those themes reflected here in 1 John. And of course, his prologue is very similar, as I said, to his gospel. And so today, we're breaking into chapter 1, at verse 4, and he's been talking about the deity of Christ, his very essence and nature and as he came, he brought with him eternal life so that we could know God and enter into fellowship with him. And so that's where we were last Sunday morning in verse 4 he writes, we write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. And we do trust that God will bless to us these readings from his holy word. Christmas Eve, of course, like all churches, is a very special day and on Christmas Eve, not only as I mentioned earlier, do we have services at two, five, seven and 11, I have to confess that I have a particular fondness for the five o'clock service. And it is because we have approximately 600 children plus their parents and their grandparents. It is a lively, noisy, quickly moving service as the children, as you can imagine, are just excited. They're so excited, they're like dogs with two tails and they can't sit still for a moment. And towards the end of that service, we have an activity and as I stand back there and read the Christmas story two angels usually a little boy and a little girl come down and they stand right here And then I move to the story of Mary and Joseph moving from Nazareth up to Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph come in dressed in all their finery with the baby Jesus. And then, of course, we have the shepherds. And then, of course, we have the wise men. And it is a wonderful service. And, of course, you can see the children's eyes light up as they visualize what took place that first Christmas and this morning I want to ask you if you were put in charge of this year's nativity and you thought, well, it's kind of been the same old, same old for the last 2000 years. Could I freshen it up a little? Not only with the boys and girls, what would it take to have sheep Or camels or donkeys, what might that look like? And earlier this week someone sent me an image of a church who were being a little creative for their nativity and they struggled to find a camel but they came up with a wonderful idea and you'll see it on your screens. And when I saw that, I just laughed and laughed. I thought, how utterly spectacular. And you take one look at that, and you know that that is a camel designed by a church committee, don't you? You can see it, and you think, of course it is. And it was just so well done. And, of course, you can see the lady who's looking after the horse. She's got a huge smile, and she was enjoying it immensely. And, of course, Christmas, with all of the fun and the festivities, Is a time to be enjoyed. And when John completes that first section of his opening chapter, he says after writing about the love of God found in Christ, writing about his grace and the message of eternal life that we find in the Gospels. He says we write this to make your joy complete. And of course our joy at this time of year almost knows no bounds because our hearts are overflowing with thankfulness for Christmas and of course Quite naturally, the birth of Christ. And so this morning, as we come to the second section of this opening chapter, I want to give you a little framework. It's fairly simple and straightforward, but I think it will help this morning. This coming Thursday, my son Michael and I will go to the movies to see the new Star Wars movie. It's called The Rise of Skywalker. Skywalker. And if we get there Thursday evening, and if we are there on the opening night, we will set a personal record. And we'll be able to say on Friday morning, for the past 20 years, both of us together have gone to the opening night of Star Wars movies. And of course, we're looking forward to it with great anticipation. But when we go to the movie theatre, we will do what everyone else does. We will do what people do when they open up a new book. We will do what people do when they hear the sports results for the first time. Subconsciously, in the back of our minds, we will ask five questions. Who, what, when, where, why? Why? And we do that instinctively. You meet someone at a Christmas party for the first time, in the back of your mind you're asking those questions, who, what, when, where, why. And last Sunday morning when we spent our time focusing in those first four verses of 1 John, we were asking who. And John is writing that which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our own eyes, that which we have looked at, that which our hands have touched. And he's describing, of course, Jesus. And he's describing Jesus as very God of very God, true light of true light, coming into our world in order that the gospel might impact and transform lives and bring us into a deep ab. Abiding relationship with God. That's why John finishes that opening section to say, and we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. That's exactly what he's highlighting right here. And so, with all of that in mind, having answered the who question, as John begins to unfold the rest of his epistle, he is answering who, what, when, where why we may not get to the why till next sunday but that's a broad framework into fit into which we fit our study this morning now the other thing john said before he finished chapter uh, that first section and he repeats it again in this second section is he uses that distinctly christian word fellowship chapter uh verse three he says we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Now let me pause right there because I don't want to quickly move through that word fellowship. Distinctly Christian word and in ancient Greece it was the word itself, fellowship also had connotations of Relationship, and what it meant was this, a relationship that is found in marriage, that deep intimate bond between husband and wife who love each other. And that's the point John is making. He is saying when you hear the gospel and the love of Christ overwhelms you, heart and mind and soul, he transforms and renews and re-energizes your very being. He gives you a new will, new heart, new mind, new desires, a soul that soars heavenward as you seek intimacy with him all of that is wrapped up in that word fellowship a deep bond of loving commitment and that's what happens when we respond to the gospel Now, having said that, the word fellowship also has connotations of another meaning. And not only does it mean that deep abiding love in a relationship, it also means participation in a relationship. Sometimes when couples who have been married... Fifteen, twenty 20 years come to see me and they say something has gone wrong in our marriage. We're no longer communicating. We no longer have what we once had in common. And I will ask them, how much are they willing to reinvest and participate in that marital relationship? That's the crucial point. Marriage is not something we just take for granted go along neutral as if it doesn't matter. It's when we invest love and time and energy and participate that love gets deeper and deeper and deeper. That's the picture John is painting here. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, a deep abiding personal bond. And so as he comes into verse 5, what he says is this, this is the message and declare it To you. And he moves into a new theme. And he says, God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, in other words, that deep, united bond of love and trust. If we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live by the truth. Now let me pause for a second here. John is using the simplest of language to communicate one of the most profound concepts in all of Scripture. God is light. What is John telling us? He's telling us this. He's telling us that in him... There is no deceit, no darkness, no hidden agenda, no betrayal, no lies, no cover-up. He is light in its very purest form. And from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, the Scripture talks about the characteristics of God, His love. His grace, his goodness, his justice, his mercy, his infinite patience with we, his children. It talks about his faithfulness, how he will never abandon us, never walk away from us, because he has a deep personal bond of loving fellowship with us. That's the point he's making. But John is going a step further here, because he's not simply describing for us the character of God. He's going further. He's saying to us, God is light. God is light. It's not what he does. He is light. And what John is saying to us here is this. He's describing for us the very substance and nature and essence of God. God is light. That's the point he's making. And he's asking his first century readers and asking every generation since: do you appreciate what that means? Do you grasp the enormity of it? Do you cherish it? Do you appreciate it? When you enter his presence in prayer, when your heart soars in worship, are you giving thanks that in his very essence he is like? We said it moments ago, light from light, true God of true God. That's what's going on right here. In the book of Genesis, Chris John has parallel themes at times. When you open up Genesis and you begin to read, what does it tell us? And God said, let there be light. Let there be light. And when you enter into a relationship with Him, the light of His love and grace, the light that emanates from Him in holiness shines into every hidden recess and corner of our lives and he brings with his love that cleansing renewing power he takes away our sins he grants to us new appetites, new desires, new heart and mind and soul, all of that is wrapped up right there as he recreates and re-energizes it is the light and the power of his love that's what John is highlighting for us God is light that's what he's highlighting And then he adds in him there is no darkness at all none it's not incredible none spiritual darkness is not a theme we think of too often during these Sundays of Advent and yet it runs throughout the Christmas story It run throughout eternity up to the birth of Christ and that is why Jesus says in John's Gospel and John is repeating his theme here I am the light of the world And in the darkness shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in him this night. Light and darkness are incompatible. They cannot exist at the same time. It's like life and death. They cannot exist together. And here is John saying God is light and in him there is no darkness please understand and grasp what is being said here naturally we're drawn to the light and love and grace of god but the same the other side rather of that coin is spiritual darkness now what does that mean now, you are educated enough in biblical studies to understand what the scripture teaches about sin. Please don't ever underestimate it. Sin is the only act that we commit that is similar to spiritual suicide. And if you imagine it like a glass of water, we take a little, and then we take a little more, and we take a little more, and sin brings with it deception, spiritual blindness. It restricts and confines our conscience. It gets a hold of us as individuals. It influences our lives. Of course it is appealing, of course it is attractive, it will consistently tell you it's no big deal, when in fact it is the opposite, because it is deception. That's what sin does. It removes us from the presence of God. It allows us to take our focus from Him and put it onto ourselves. It affects our thinking, it affects our hopes, our dreams, everything about us. And in fact, it marginalizes and minimizes the love and grace of God. John, in his gospel, writes these words, and these are tough words to hear. This is the verdict Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. It is so pernicious, it is so wicked, so destructive, so malicious, it is utterly toxic and it damages everyone and everything it comes into contact with. Think back the last week news headlines. Was it good news? No. Bad news. We see sin manifest itself in human trafficking. We see it in domestic abuse. We see it in alcohol and drug addiction. We see it in dysfunctional families. We see it all over the place and yet light has come into our world and yet, what does John tell us? But people love darkness. Why? Because sin has captured the heart and enslaved the heart. That's what it does. Think back this past week. Six people shot to death in a supermarket in Jersey. Two of them, domestic terrorists, went into a Jewish supermarket and killed everyone who was there. They eventually lost their own lives. What on earth did that achieve? It achieved nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's typical of sin. There are now six families absolutely distraught because family members have been taken. Can you imagine what Christmas will be like for those families? The next day in New York, and this sadly is so common, a young girl 18, walking back to her university dorm, was knifed to death because it was an attempted robbery by a 13-year-old male and his two friends. A life gone, taken. Can you imagine how our parents are feeling? Family and friends. That's how bad sin actually is. And that's why John says God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all. And then he goes on and he adds, and if we claim to have deep abiding intimate relationship with him can you see the point yet walk in darkness we lie because we do not live by the truth we do not live by the truth let me see if i can illustrate it again when christians stand up for christian values sadly Our society at times seeks to minimize what we say, seeks to marginalize it as of no use. And I've shared with you these two quotes that I'm about to put up. I've shared them with you probably eight to ten months ago, so you'll be familiar with them. But they work well with our theme today. Professor Stephen Hawking Theoretical physicist from the University of Oxford not so long ago, within the last two and a half years, said religion is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. Religion is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. Minimized, marginalized by one of the great intellects of our day. And people read that and say, yeah, that sounds about right. And yet another great intellect of our day... Dr. John Lennox, Professor of Mathematics and Philosophy of Science at the same university, Oxford, England, says this, Atheism is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the light. Isn't that something? For people who are afraid of the light. And I think most of us have lived long enough and in our own experience will hear folks seek to trivialize Christianity say it's nothing but a fairy tale. Because somehow they get the impression that Christianity is out to restrict, to confine. It's about don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. And those of us who are here this morning and have been touched by the gospel, have had our lives transformed by it, will tell you this. Our lives are not about don't do this, don't do that, don't do the next thing. It's not about restriction or confinement. It's the very opposite. Free at last. Thank God. Free at last. Because we no longer have sin over our lives. It's no longer the tyranny it once was. It no longer has the power. Doesn't mean that it doesn't try to seduce us and draw us in. It absolutely does. And that's what the scripture means when it talks about spiritual battle. And that's the point John is making right here. John is saying the pattern of the Christian life is what? Is to learn and then live it out. That's why Sunday morning we equip ourselves spiritually to live out our faith day by day by day by day. That's the point John is making. Notice what he says. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we deceive ourselves. Our walk must equal our talk, belief and behaviour Go hand in hand. It's part of our DNA. It's who we are. And here's the thing I want you to hear before I move on to our final and last point. It's this. Now when someone says to you, Christianity is all about rules and regulations, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the next thing. Help them to understand That when Christ comes into our lives and we know His love and we know His grace and we respond to it and we give our life to Him, the last thing we want to do is this and that and the other because we are free from it. We no longer have a desire to be there. We are new people in Christ because we are fulfilled in Him. That's our very DNA. Now let me draw things to a close with an illustration this morning. I told you this when it happened three, four years ago. One of our senior ladies was having a birthday. She was in her 80s. And I asked her, did she have a good birthday she said yes i did it was one of the best and i said well why was it so good and she said my daughter and her family gave me an outstanding birthday gift of course i was thinking okay what was it 85 years old was it something you've always wanted and she said to me they gave me the results of a dna test for my dog I thought, okay, why would someone ask for a DNA test of your dog? And she realized I was looking at a little quizzical and she said, Richard, people who love their dogs, people who want to know about their dogs can give the dog a DNA test. I said, okay, how does it work? She said, well, you get one of these long Q-tips. It comes in a package. You take a swab from the inside of the dog's mouth. You send it off to a laboratory. The laboratory uh, sends you back results. And it tells you if your dog is a full pedigree. I said, well, okay, that's interesting. But how is that helpful? And she says, well, let me give you an example. She said, If, for example, you are thinking of buying a dog, and if you're thinking of buying a pure breed, that's a lot of money and investment. And she said you can ask for the dog's DNA. For example... If you're thinking of buying a dog for your family, of course you're asking, is it a Labrador? Is it good with children? Does it play well when little ones stick fingers up their nose and in their ears and try and ride on it? Is it a Labrador? Uh, will it be good with children? And she said, that's the area that people use it in. And of course, in my fertile imagination, I was thinking, okay... I think there's some mileage in this. And so the Sunday afternoon, I don't expect you to remember this part, I explained that story, then I held up a Q-tip. And I said, could I ask please for all elders and deacons to wait behind after the service? And quite frankly, this is painless, it will just take a little swab inside your mouth, we'll send it off and we'll get the results. And it will tell us if you're part Baptist, or whether you're a Methodist at heart, or whether you're an Anglican with uh, Episcopal leanings, it will tell us all that. And of course I had some fun at that level. But when John writes, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, he is outlining for us God's very DNA. That's the who. The what is quite clear when John says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we are not living according to the truth. And as we move towards Christmas Day with all of the wonder and joy and thrill of the season, let me encourage you with all of the pastoral intensity I can to take time out away from trimming the trees and sending those last-minute cards and doing that last-minute shopping and preparing that perfect meal when all the pressure is on us. Take time Spend it prayerfully with him. Asking, Father, are there areas in my life that I am keeping away from you? Areas, quite frankly, I'm ashamed of. Areas and patterns that I'm embarrassed by. And John is going deep here and he's saying, if you claim to belong to him, but are not following him. You're walking in darkness. And darkness has that sense of secret about it. And please hear me. And I know this to be true in my life. Secret sin is often serial sin. And it has to be dealt with. And that's exactly what John is saying. We learn in order to, to live. We draw closer to him to be equipped and enabled to live out our faith day by day. Remember what we said in terms of the quote from the hymn earlier? What did we say? Yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light and the hopes and fears of all the years are met in him tonight. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. Thank you for all that it teaches us, and may we this week spend time with you, refine us, please, O God, cleanse us, change us, enable us please to move to that next level in our relationship with you. Oh, Father, hear our prayers, we ask. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.